What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. The Oakland Police Chief Leron Armstrong has been placed on paid administrative leave by Mayor Shang Tao. Yesterday, Chief Armstrong teamed up with public relations <clears throat> expert Sam Singer, the same crisis communications manager that worked with terminated Oakland Police Chief Ann Kirkpatrick in her lawsuit against the city, and fired back, demanding he be immediately reinstated and taking aim at the federal monitor. That's what we are going to kick our conversation this morning off with the deputy director of the Anti-Police Terror Project, James Burt. Good morning, James. Good morning, Kat. Thanks for having me. Walk us through what we know so far about why Armstrong was placed on administrative leave, paid administrative leave. Right. We know that Armstrong was placed on paid administrative leave because there were two specific scandals involving a sergeant. One where that sergeant was with an officer in a parking garage in San Francisco when they got into a hit and run and didn't report it. And another when that sergeant was in an elevator in the OPD building and his gun went off uh, and he didn't report that either. Uh, both of those incidents were eventually submitted for discipline uh, and the chief rubber stamped those investigations. Both of those investigations did not uh, achieve the level of discipline that they're supposed to under the disciplinary matrix for, for OPD is my understanding. And so um, uh, hearing that from the federal monitor, uh, and several other things that the federal monitor said as well that aren't being as, as reported. One, for instance, that uh, uh, members of the Oakland Police Department uh, s sworn staff were using their personal cell phones on duty and then erasing the messages that they've been sharing throughout the department. Uh, other other uh, observations like that. Uh, the decision was made to put the chief on paid administrative leave while they investigate uh, for potential uh, further misconduct. Right. We have to remember that this is uh, two investigations into one sergeant that uncovered this lack of discipline. So what I imagine they're doing right now is going through all of the other disciplinary incidents or potential incidents over the last several years to determine uh, whether the chief has just been rubber stamping across the board or what is actually happening within the Oakland Police Department when it comes to accountability and enforcing discipline. James Birch, I've been shocked at the level of shock. <laughs> And, and, and what I mean by that is, <laughs> what I mean by that is, is, is a Laron Armstrong has been a, a member of the police department for many, many years, including, um, you know, uh, uh, when they were still the the most murderous police department in Northern California. Two, this is the same police chief that went on a national campaign lying about being defunded and placed targets on the backs of folks that were asking for money for social services that actually keep us safe. Three, just the culture of policing itself in terms of them taking care of their own. Have you too been shocked at the level of shock? And could you talk about how this is actually a pretty common practice in police departments across the board? Uh, absolutely, Kat. We call it the uh, blue wall of silence, right? We're all aware that law enforcement officers do not, do not tell on other law enforcement officers. And if a law enforcement officer does something, neither the police department nor the district attorney's office is willing to hold them accountable. Right. We've seen that here in Oakland, just as we've seen that uh, across the Bay Area and across the country. We've had numerous scandals during uh, uh, Chief Armstrong's tenure 
before he became chief while he was in the department. Uh, since the Oakland Riders scandal, it's important to note that there has been a slow drip of scandals every year or two that we know about, that we know about, mm. right? Mm. Uh, uh, and, and, and to pretend that all of a sudden there is a, 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 a police department that uh, uh, has no issues of discipline and accountability as is, is being put on by this performance by Lauren Armstrong and, and as you mentioned, Sam Singer, who, who uh, uh, represented the former chief and the uh, 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 property managers who attacked Moms for Housing uh, uh, during that scandal as well. Um, it's no surprise that they're going through these antics, though, Kat, because we saw this for this. This is the same playbook we saw for eight years under Libby Schaaf, right? Anytime there's an, a true issue of accountability, they uh, 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 bring out the same folks to establish the same narrative that is pro-law and order and pro this chief. And my, my other question is, what has this chief done since he's been with the mm-hmm. department, right? A bunch of folks are running to his defense. What has he done? Right. He said he was going to clean house as if that's possible. He said he was going to, you know, he hasn't even uh, reallocated uh, 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 time and attention to, to acts of violence like the people have been uh, 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 clamoring for for the last several years. He hasn't even done that. So, so, so you know, for me, again, this is, when, uh, this is when we see the most of the chief and hear the most out of the chief is when he's under attack. Right. But, but, but you know, if he, uh, let's just leave it at that. Yeah, I, I, I am fine. It's been frustrating, right, actually, since the election of Mayor Shang Tao, the role identity politics are playing out, uh, uh, playing in, inside of political conversations in, in Oakland, right? And and we do this. Um, and and I'm, I'm just going to talk about our folks for a minute, right? Some of us, some of us do this, particularly establishment black folks, and I'm going to call out the NAACP, right? Um, who has put violent predatory folks on their executive board, and I believe is hosting, uh, holding a press conference this morning for Chief Laurent Armstrong. In theory, police departments are supposed to keep us safe. They're supposed to reduce crime. I mean, that's what they say they do, right? Um, We're in the midst and have been for the last three years of, of of being under a siege, really, right, in this uptick of community violence. So, I, again, I echo your question, what has he done and what exactly are folks defending? You mentioned that he, uh, it, it, the performance by Laron Armstrong, and I'm actually really glad that you characterized it that way because some folks may know, you know, I'm, I my before this life, right? I made a living as a communications professor, uh, professional. I, and I, I worked with folks and coached them to talk to the media and, and help them identify what messaging and how to sit and what to wear and what intonations they should take. And we definitely saw um, Sam Singer's hands all over this. I think it's really important that we talk about who Sam Singer is, that we've got a police chief that is saying, now nah, look at me, trust me, I'm a good dude, right? I would never do this. I deserve to be reinstated. Yet he teams up with someone uh, the likes of Sam Singer. What do we know about Singer, James Birch? Uh, again, as, as, as you mentioned, Kat, this is a person who uh, uh, big money interests bring in to protect themselves when they're under popular threat. So we saw this. Uh, we saw this in the instance of, of with, with Chief Kirkpatrick uh, when she was under threat. And again, um, I don't know if folks are familiar with what happened uh, several years ago with Moms for Housing, a group of uh, uh, unhoused uh, mothers who uh, um, uh, took possession of uh, unoccupied property owned by, you might have to help me with the name of the property management company, Cat, but uh, uh, 
ultimately what happened was these moms uh, attempted to reclaim this house that no one had been living in for years. Um, and the property company brought in Sam Singer to do its PR, right? Sam Singer is a person who has connections with the major media outlets in the Bay Area. He gets stories placed uh, and he can influence a narrative, right? And so if you're looking to push, um, if you're in trouble in the Bay Area and you need to blanket both uh, the Cron, the, the East Bay Times, you know, the whole media market with uh, a narrative, you need someone like Sam Singer who has the power and the influence to get that done. Right. And so you see when folks are in yeah. trouble, he's the big gun that they bring in to set the narrative straight and, and, and get, you know, continue to get stories placed to try to outlast whatever opposition uh, has, has, has made itself known. Right. You know, James, I, I call myself a cons- I, I stole Melina Abdullah's, Dr. Melina Abdullah's uh, uh, word for this. I, I call myself now as well a conspiracy realist, right? <laughs> not a conspiracy theorist, right? I try not to go all the way out there while also recognizing um, the, the role that the state plays, right? It's machinations to remain in power, to control the narrative, to, to protect the status quo. I find it really interesting that once Sam Singer came on, LeBron uh, and and his folks shifted their narrative from being this is a thing that Mayor Tao did to really going after the federal monitor. And I find that interesting because there is nothing in the world that LeBron's little heart wants more than to get out of federal oversight. And it seems to me that part of what they are doing with their messaging is trying to build a narrative and public support that will demonize the federal monitor. And this is not, listen, I, I, this is not a, I, I love Warsaw speech. This is, a, I do believe that they need uh, more than six months, Jim Chanin, of continued federal oversight. But to build a public narrative and, and start a drumbeat that perhaps they hope will get loud enough that there is pressure to end the oversight um, because the people won't 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 let that bone go. What do you, what what do you think about the possibilities of that? Uh, I think that's entirely possible, Kat. And I think that uh, uh, if it is true, then this isn't the first time that we we've seen this. I know you and I yeah. both uh, uh, were in conversations about this perhaps six six to nine months ago when Jim Channon and Burris and folks were all saying that OPD was fixed and uh, everything was all better and we just needed to get them out of this pesky oversight so they could do their jobs. And we were uh, in the news saying, no, uh, OPD is uh, inherently problematic. They're going to continue to engage in scandal and it's just a matter of time before something like what happens now happens, right? And, and at that time, uh, uh, we heard the beginnings of this narrative. It wasn't as sophisticated as it seems to be now, but we heard from from Laron in that camp that perhaps the monitor was just doing this to keep uh, to keep its job, right? Uh, perhaps the monitor was doing this because this is a lucrative paycheck, right? That was a narrative that started to pump, that started to move, and, and we see that develop now. And my opinion is it's because uh, Sheng Tao isn't. You can't you can't paint this on Sheng. You can't paint it on 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 on, on Mayor Tao for. For, for putting a uh, uh, for just investigating what has happened and, and, and doing what any mayor should do and, and putting 
the chief on administrative leave while they look into the possibility that there is a larger scandal going on, that there's more failures of discipline and that this chief deserves to be held accountable. That's, that's a, that doesn't seem, that wouldn't poll as well as this monitor who they've gotten traction on that, uh, that there seems to be some sort of momentum behind. So it, it doesn't surprise me at all, right? We have to remember that the chief is just gonna, uh, uh, the chief is looking for a narrative that allows him to keep his job, right? That's it. That is yeah. all they're looking for. It, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. uh, Sorry, I there's a folks know that you know I do classical theater and and, um, sometimes I pull from Shakespeare and methinks the chief doth protest too much because if you're really innocent and because I want folks to remember we only talking about sixteen pages of a report right that has many many more pages. There's more investigating to be done. One of the things that Chainin said on Upfront, right, is that the the interviews of the the other officers that were in the room when these conversations about the sergeant were happening, we haven't seen those yet. We don't know what they say. He's getting paid. He still has his job. Just like go fishing and let the investigation play out. I, I'm really interested in why. There's this massive push for him to want to shut down this investigation and and be immediately reinstated if, like he says, he's truly interested in accountability and transparency. Uh, Agree 100%, Kat. We know that through the peace officers' uh, uh, bill of rights and other protections that are afforded to sworn officers and and, uh, what they call the high-level staff, the brass, um, that all he needs to do is go through this investigation, right? And, and I know the cliche, if you have nothing to hide, uh, uh, um, isn't uh, said another way. Uh, this chief, <clears throat> sorry, uh, I mean, the bottom line here is we, we have a Chief Armstrong who, like you said, uh, is making a lot of noise, and it has to be for a reason. And, and the reason, in my assessment, is he's trying to sway political opinion so he can try to influence what happens next, right? If he was uh, comfortable in the fact that he had done his job, he could wait out this investigation. It would be politically prudent for him to wait out this investigation and then go on the attack when it was shown that Mayor Tao had pushed too hard and perhaps done something appropriate. But that's not what he's doing. He's trying to get out ahead of it because he knows either that he's in a bad position, in my opinion, or he knows, like you said, that there are other things that are going to come out if this investigation is allowed to continue uh, and it isn't shut down due to the political pressure that he and Sam Singer is putting on this administration. And get out ahead of it. That is exactly what a crisis communications manager is going to tell their client and help their client do. Um, I've got a couple other things that I want to talk to you about, James Birch, before we talk about the most important piece of the work uh, that APTP does, and that is supporting families that have had their loved ones stolen um, by law enforcement. Um, we, we're in this conversation right now thanks to the courage, courageous actions of Councilmember Carol Fife, you know, re- releasing some of the voicemails uh, that she's received threatening um, her safety and saying, you know, other horrific things. And and some of the dots that we connected on the show yesterday is that there is this group uh, of of folks, um, establishment uh, folks, some of the very folks that are are joining uh, some of the 
PR um, spin uh, 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 of the chief that that spin lies um, that that have dangerous consequences, right? And I, I want to talk about um, the settlement, the lawsuit that APTP was the lead plaintiff on, just very briefly, because we're actually going to bring, I think, Dan Siegel on at a later date uh, soon to, to go in, in more depth. But but the, talk about what happened, uh, and quickly, uh, during the George Floyd uprisings, the response to OPD, our lawsuit, and what was won in the settlement and where that money went, because it did not go to the anti-police terror project. Uh, oh, for sure. Oh, um, uh, so uh, the lawsuit was filed in the response to the uh, George Floyd uprising. There were protests in downtown Oakland. Many of Oakland's youth and high schoolers were out, uh, and uh, several of the uh, major rallies were kettled by law enforcement officers, which means the officers surrounded them, didn't give people a place to leave or escape to, and then folks were tear-gassed or uh, 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 assaulted with other projectiles as well. And so a lawsuit was filed on behalf of several organizations and many of the folks who were hurt during those, injured during those incidents. Uh, APTP was named as a plaintiff. Um, uh, the result of the lawsuit was that uh, several of the, basically there are restrictions on when uh, OPD can and cannot use projectiles, can, can and cannot use tear gas, and, and, and restrictions on uh, uh, how they um, engage groups of protesters to try to make sure that folks are more safe. Um, money was given to um, those folks who were injured, and then uh, uh, attorneys who worked the case received attorney's fees. Uh, I was an attorney on the case. Uh, I refused fees for my work, so I received zero dollars, and the anti-police terror project received zero dollars in the settlement. So APTP got no money. Uh, I've got no money. Uh, that's not what we do this for. I hope folks should know that by now. But uh, you know, if we do another uh, case, it'll be the same thing. And just full, full circle on, on this, Laron Armstrong was a member of the police department when our children were brutally uh, attacked. And we say that, that people were injured. There are some people that are permanently disabled because of the actions of the Oakland Police Department teaming up uh, uh, with the Alameda County Sheriffs and attacking the folks. Um, James, I, before we, we turn our attention to, to families, I'd like to talk about some happy stuff, which we hardly ever get to do, either as APTP or on this show. Uh, this past weekend, the Anti-Police Terror Project held its ninth annual Reclaiming the Radical Legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, we did film screenings, we did trainings, we did workshops. We, of course, had our massive march and car caravan. Um, but we also opened the People's House. Go on and tell the people about the house, James Birch. Oh, bless you, Kat. Um, uh, the People's House, located uh, in West Oakland, uh, is the culmination of many, many dreams of the folks who work at the Anti-Police Terror Project, right? We have, now we have a physical location to uh, enhance, grow, uh, and build the community-based supports that we have been working on, that we have been iterating, that we have been, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, trying to bring to life over the last uh, decade plus. And so the types of things we'll be doing there is, is mental health first. We'll use that as its base. We'll have uh, the California Healers Network, a group of folks who do who do therapy, who do acupuncture, who do massage, who do healing modalities from across the world, try to bring them to our folks and bring them to our folks in an accessible way. 
Um, we are we're we are open for programming. We're trying to make sure that folks in the community or from the community who are looking for a space to do their uh, reading group, their yoga class, their uh, uh, anything that helps them feel well and connected to the folks they live with and around, we're trying to be there for. Uh, and of course, we know that uh, uh, the community that we're moving into in the bottoms is a deep, deep, deep history, uh, and we want to uh, uh, enter respectfully and uh, support and help uh, uh, grow the visions and lives of those who have been in that neighborhood for for decades and decades and decades. Black families with the some of the richest histories in all of Oakland live in that neighborhood, and we're just uh, uh, so blessed to be a part of the story. Come on through to your house, y'all. 893 Willow is the location. James Birch, the most important work we do is to work with, support, impacted family members. And by impacted, I mean that they've had someone they love stolen by law enforcement. And so we're going to spend the last few minutes of our time with you talking about some of the support that a few families are in need of in the coming weeks. We're going to bring on the line right now April Green. She is the aunt of Kita O'Neill, who was murdered by the San Francisco Police Department in 2017. Good morning, April. Good morning. Thank you so much for coming back on the show, April. We've had you on a couple of times now. Uh, the former San Francisco District Attorney, Chesa Boudin, had filed charges against the police officer who murdered your nephew, uh, Christopher Samoya. But the new District Attorney of San Francisco, Brooke Jenkins, uh, last we talked with you, had been dragging her feet. Our theory then was that we would know where she stood on actually prosecuting killer cops post the election, which she sadly, one. Um, how has it been engaging with her office since November? Well, it's been, first I was informed that she was going to meet with me and go over the evidence. And next thing, and then she, then next, um, they were going to delay the preliminary hearing. And I really believe because the attorneys I have, Brian Ford and Neil Hallinan being involved so actively, writing her that she did allow the preliminary to, to hearing to take place, which is this Friday, reluctantly. But sadly, she has put a wall up and has not been in communication with me, promises made that she would to go over the evidence. And I have some real concerns and reservations of what evidence will be presented. Because it doesn't really matter if you have a preliminary hearing if you don't present the correct evidence for the judge to grant a trial. And so I am now don't know what to expect. My attorney, Brian Ford, has just wrote her a letter asking um, if they're going to ask for a continues because by law they're supposed to let victims know within 24, 48 hours if they're going to ask for a continuance or if they're going to move forward with the preliminary hearing, which is scheduled this Friday. So I've, uh, with Chester's office, they were very in contact with me. We were in zinc to know what was going on. And with this DA, I'm not getting that at all. So I have no idea what's going on. And, and I just want to say I'm sorry because you're already walking with the trauma of you, your nephew being murdered. And then to be treated like this compounds um, that trauma. Asking for community support to rally with you all this Friday. Um, can you tell you all going to have a press conference, correct? 
from my understanding, um, it's going to be James and Emily from San Francisco Rising. Yeah, we're going to be there around 8.15, asking the press to come. There is some press people that said they're coming. I know they informed me. Um, and I'm hoping people show up because my nephew is gone. It's not about my nephew anymore. He's gone. It's about the rest and the future of our black and brown men of how they'll be treated by the police. If my nephew's case is dismissed or they do a plea bargain without informing me as a victim, because we have rights as victims to be informed of what decisions they make when it relates to our our loved ones that's been murdered. And sadly, they don't tell you that. And in this case, if this case doesn't go forward and that officer walks away, then it's going to have an impact on the future of how black and brown men are treating because you won't ha- they won't care if there's a video, if there's witnesses, which we have, and we have a strong case. Even the police department fired him, and that's very rare. You, they just don't do that. They stand by their own at all times. As a matter of fact, the union is mad with the police department for firing this officer, for firing him. But they saw what he done was so egregious that they couldn't even justify keeping him. And if this DA doesn't see that, and this DA allows him to walk away, then it won't matter what video you have. It won't matter what witnesses you have. These officers will openly and and murder the rest of our black and brown male because they will have a DA in office who does not hold accountability. That's right. Uh, One more time, time, uh, you know, time and address uh, for this Friday, April. It's at 8.50, Brian. At 8.15 in the morning, we're going to all be meeting. The press should be there. Um, And the court hearing starts at 9 o'clock a.m. It would be great for people to show up, to show the presence, because it would be really a sad day if these police show in supporting this man. If police show in there standing, and we're not standing there as black and brown people representing the community. That's right. April Green, thank you so much uh, for, for, for your fight, right? Not just for your nephew, but, but for our, all of our, our community. Um, and we will, um, we will link, we will, we will say something uh, about where people can show up to support you this Friday in the archived version of this show. Thanks so much for coming on. James Birch, there are a couple other families that have got court dates coming up, Correct. Absolutely. When it comes to uh, D.A. Brooke Jenkins, there are several more dates to look out for. The family of Sean Moore has a court date coming up in March, uh, and we're still waiting to hear from the family of Luis Gongora Pat uh, what the what the status is of their case that is also in front of D.A. Brooke Jenkins. And so um, this is a theme uh, when it comes to D.A. Jenkins. There are several cases on her desk. Uh, and, and as 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 Miss Green mentioned, without pressure, um, she has a lot more room to kind of try to make these cases just go away. But if we are there, if we're loud, if we're at the court, if we're at every uh, hearing for these families, it becomes much, much, much more difficult. And so, shout out to Miss Green for all the work that she's put in, and look forward to to, to being with her on Friday. And we will be uh, uplifting the dates, times, places of all these court cases on the social media handles of the Anti-Police Terror Project. James Birch, thank you. I know you've got two small children that need your attention in the morning. So deeply appreciate uh, you joining us this morning. Right on. Thanks so much, Kat. Thanks for having me.
You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.